With Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour is underway. It's Wednesday, April 26th. Welcome to the Sports Drive for Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Well, it's uh, not every day on Flames Talk that we say hello to the 19th Premier of Alberta, but after Tuesday's announcement in Victoria Park of a brand new event center in the city of Calgary, a uh, pretty cool opportunity to say hello to Premier Premier Daniel Smith, who joins us on the program right now. Uh, Premier, thank you very much for being with us today. How are you today? My my pleasure. Happy to be. This is uh, a new one for me too. I don't often talk on a, on a sports talk show, so thanks for hosting me. Well, no problem. It's good to have you on board. And and I guess uh, I, I will ask you this question to start off, and then we can branch from there. But just from the province of Alberta's standpoint, your standpoint, just how exciting was Tuesday's announcement? You know, I, I have to give great credit to the uh, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Group as well as the, the city of Calgary because they put together, I think, what's going to be a spectacular deal. And I think if you saw the press conference, they're very excited about it. It seems like it's a model a little bit more on some of the traditional arenas that we've seen built in recent years where there's lots of opportunity to develop around the area. So it creates not just a an arena, but an entire district. And so I'm really excited about it. We, uh, we wanted to do what we could to help bridge the gap between the, the two negotiating parties. And so our, our contribution is going to be on infrastructure and helping to build at the plazas, doing some of the underpasses, helping with the community rinks so that it can support amateur sports. And uh, we're, we're very pleased that we were able to help bridge that gap. So from your perspective, how did everything come together? And, and from the province's perspective, how did you see things leading up to Tuesday's announcement? Well, one of the things I was worried about, because I'd, I'd been very supportive of the, of the deal. I'd, I'd been on radio before, and so I spent a lot of time doing segments on it. And I was excited about the original deal. And I think everybody was just gut-punched when it fell apart over what looked on the outside like like relatively um, minor issues to, to, to bridge. And so when I became premier on October 25th, it was only a couple of weeks later, I, I sent a, a, a letter to, to both parties saying, hey, anything we can do to help bring this back on the rails, let me know. And I signed MLA Rick McIver, who'd been on council before, to see what he could do to, to work with the team to identify the ways in which we would be able to help. And so there's been a, a lot of discussion over a lot of months and we weren't sure if it was going to, to come together, but I, I think that uh, everybody did a, a lot of hard work to, to try to just get it to, to the finish line. And we were, we were pleased to, to be able to, to, to lend a hand to make that happen. I just, when I, when I stood there looking at the parking lot, imagining what an amazing new event center would look like, because I've seen Rogers Place, I've been down to um, Las Vegas and seen where the Golden Knights play. I've seen all of the development on the outside area. It's just going to create so many memories for people. It's not only going to be for the for the team, but also the all the concerts that we'll be able to get now in Calgary and in Alberta that have been uh, doing flyovers in the past because we just didn't have an appropriate arena. Mm-hmm. It, it really is to have a 35-year deal, knowing that there's going to be all of those wonderful memories that are, that are going to be created. I, I think that was a, a pretty amazing moment. So you touched on it a little bit, and, and you definitely touched, about, touched on it at Tuesday's news conference as well, but the province committing up to $330 million to this project. Can, can you just explain how and when that money will be used in completing this? Sure. So the $300 million, uh, I'll, I'll deal with it in two parts. $300 million is the maximum that we'll pay to help with the infrastructure because there is going to need to be the uh, demolition of the saddle dome as well as the, the site clearing and reclamation. There'll need to be new roads constructed, utilities, the underpass. There'll be the, uh, the support for the LRT because we'll have both the red line and the green lines um, that are going to be close by. So those are the kind of things that we, that we know need to be done to make this successful. And we're prepared to, to go up to $300 million to be able to support that development. 
Then there's the, the community rink, and, and we're taking on half the cost of that. So we anticipate it'll be $30 million, um, would be our, our investment. Then the, the team and, and the city are going to be sharing the rest. And that's important for a couple of reasons. Like when, you, when you go up to Roger's Place and you see that they've got a community arena, it is such a treat for any team that is there, knowing that they're playing on the same ice as their heroes. And it also adds that community element to it. Plus, it gives a, a convenient place for the, for the Flames to be able to practice as well. So it seems like that was another really essential piece of, of uh, putting together um, a proposal that was going to work for everybody. So we would anticipate uh, that over the next three years that we would be making that funding commitment. So okay. call it a, you know, $100 million a year over the next three years. We're in conversation with Alberta Premier Danielle Smith here on Flames Talk. So why why is this a project that you feel the province should be a part of? And you've, you've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but for you, why is this a project that, that you feel the province should be contributing to? Well, I think everybody knows that Alberta is the place for the epic battle of Alberta. And the idea that we would have any danger of losing one of our two uh, NHL teams. It's just unconscionable. I can't even, I can't even imagine that. And I, I think we had to take that seriously. Yeah, Gary Bettman was pretty vocal in saying that we had the worst arena in the entire league. We know that there are other cities that are proactively building sp- uh, arenas just to be able to attract a team. And I had to take that threat seriously, that, that if we didn't do something, there was a real danger that, that we would lose the team. And I, I, think, I think that's just such a, a special part of what we are in Alberta, <laughs> is being able to battle between Edmonton and, and Calgary. I'm glad you haven't asked me the really tough question about who I root for, because <laughs> I like to say I root for both teams. Uh, and it's nice when they play each other, because then I, I know my team is always going to win. And, and so I'm, I'm delighted now to, to, be, to, to be seeing the, the Oilers continuing on. As, uh, as the Flames also are celebrating a pretty big deal. But I think that's important. The other thing that's important is that we know that after the, the last few years with a lot of people working from home, both of our, our downtown cores have, have really suffered in not having the, the volume of people downtown. We're needing to attract more businesses downtown, more investment, more people, uh, more vibrancy, more restaurants, more bars. When you have more people downtown, it, it contributes to public safety. It contributes to creating two amazing cores for, for, for business and uh, attraction and for people to live. And so we, we know that there's a little bit of repair work that needs to be done in both the cities after, um, after the troubles of the last three years. So we thought that this was going to be a, an important way of us of being able to really support the development of downtown. Now, I know one of the things that has been discussed since Tuesday's announcement is how there's a, a perception that, that maybe the provincial funding is contingent on the UCP remaining Alberta's government after May's provincial election. So uh, can, can you explain that and, and how they may or may not be tied together? And I, I hope it's not. I mean, I, I have suggested that, that this really is a deal that happened between Calgary and the team. And they needed a little bit of infrastructure support from the from the province to be able to to make it happen. And I would hope that every political party would uh, would support the, the, this deal, regardless of what happens on May the 29th. But you can be assured that we'll go ahead with it if uh, if UCP gets reelected. But I would I would challenge the other political parties to to say the same thing because what strikes me is that 15 out of 15 council members voted in favor of this deal, and it's a pretty big a pretty big bite for the city of Calgary to make this decision. And there's a lot of different political views on that council, but they all came together and saw that this was the right thing for Calgary. 15 uh, to nothing voted in favor of it. And that, that I think should be the, the, the strong message to other political parties. that th- This is something that we need to do. We need to support Calgary in making this happen. So in saying that, and, and this is my, uh, this is, this is the sports guy attempting a hard hitting political question. Um, but how, how do you premier respond to some of the comments or criticisms or thoughts that this was timing wise, politically motivated with the election in a month? How, how do you respond to, to those thoughts or comments? You know, we had no control over the t- over the timing. We we really have just been a spectator and a cheerleader in helping to uh, to, to encourage Calgary and the team to to come to an agreement. I would have loved to have seen it a few months ago. It's, it's part of the reason why I got started as soon as I did two weeks after I got elected, saying, "Come on, let's see if we can make something happen here." And it's just um, it, it took them this amount of time to come up with a, a deal that would get them that that both sides felt they were happy with. So. 
the um, I, I would say that uh, that we should be supportive of it. I'm glad that they that they came up with something. I think that I think that at the end of the season, especially since uh, sadly the Flames aren't continuing on, but this is a this is a pretty good time. I think they're probably pretty distracted on other other matters, trying to get into the playoffs, and so this actually doesn't surprise me that the, that this is where the timing came about with with everybody being able to focus their attention. And um, as far as I'm concerned, it's um, it's it's really a Calgary and Flames deal. We we are here to lend a supporting hand, and I, I hope that the other political parties feel the same. Um, two more for you, Premier. Number one, um, so earlier on Tuesday, uh, earlier on Wednesday, rather, uh, NDP leader Rachel Notley said that, that there's a belief that there's a confidential agreement between the city, province, and Calgary Sports and Entertainment um, that, that maybe outlines some additional financial numbers uh, that it's going to remain confidential for the next little while. Do you, do you have a comment on, on that at all? Well, we've been very clear about what our contribution is. It's um, it's 300 million maximum to pay for the infrastructure, and it's 30 million to pay towards the the community arena. And so, I would I would leave it to the city of Calgary and and the Flames to decide if they want to release more details about their particular arrangement. That's not my story to tell. That's uh, I think their story to tell. But we're very transparent about what the what the provincial cost is going to be and what the money is going to go towards. So I we want to make it it uh, very easy for people to understand. Uh, what it is that that we're contributing to here, because these are the kind of things that provinces pay for all the time: um, LRT support and uh, building roads, helping with utilities, uh, building community arenas, building public spaces. We that, that's why we wanted to make it very clear we're we're not giving money um, to in support of the the operations of the facility or the facility itself. We we wanted to give the supporting infrastructure. And we've been very clear about that, but I. I think that the, the rest of the arrangements would, would it, that's really that's really Calgary's and uh, and the team story to tell. Okay, uh, and final question for you, and, and we really do appreciate the time today, Premier. But um, just provincially, what are the next steps now? How do you see the next steps, and and what are the the kind of next signposts to making this even closer to having shovels in the ground? Well, I, th- I think that uh, for, from our perspective, that we have to get through the election, which will end on May the 29th. And if we're reelected, we, um, we, as part of our MOU, we've said that we would make the decision through our internal processes where you have to get it approved by Treasury Board. Any significant project has to go through a, 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 a thorough discussion from Treasury Board to get a for- formal approval. And then we'll, uh, we'll have to do that by the end of August. So we'll have our commitment um, wrapped up by the by the end of August, and then it will be up to the the team in the city to decide the time frame on when they start putting the shovels in the ground. Okay, how uh, how did you enjoy the sports radio debut? <laughs> I'm, I'm sweating it, boy. You're <laughs> this, this is a little more outside my comfort zone. <laughs> me too. Me too. Don't worry. Thanks for the, thanks for the interest. Uh, me too. Don't uh, don't worry. Well, no, uh, Premier, really do appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us uh, here today, and and thank you for much. For, uh, thank you so much for giving us a little bit more clarity on a really big announcement on Tuesday. We really do appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thanks, Pat. She is the 19th Premier of the province of Alberta. Danielle Smith joining us here on Flames Talk on this Wednesday. And she joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Of course, as always, using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or deliveries at 403-248-3344. Let's welcome in the president and CEO of Calgary Sports and Entertainment. John Bean joins us now as we continue talking about the new event center agreement, the new event center project, and a whole lot more. John joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline right now. John, good to have you on. Uh, we heard from you on Tuesday at the news conference, but uh, good to hear from you again. How are we doing today? Hey, Pat. I'm, I'm great, thanks. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, how... I, I guess just straight up, how exciting was was Tuesday to be able to announce the news? Just from CSEC's point of view, how how exciting was Tuesday for you as a group? Uh, you know what, Pat? Uh, really exciting day. Um, and as you know, it's been a bit of a long journey, quite frankly. And uh, but but really good to see it all come together, and to see. I, th- I thought Councillor Sharp actually had a great. 
had a great analogy there, right, with the big four, and we'll never be the big four that were there originally, but it was cool to see four parties come together and paint a pretty clear picture and a pretty clear path forward uh, and something really special for the city of Calgary. It's been uh, it's been awesome. Our email and text boxes have been filling up with way to go, congratulations. And so uh, one big step now and then some seriously heavy lifting to get this thing out of the ground and let's get it out of the ground and let's get it open. How, how did this all come together, John? So the, the deal breaks down, the last deal breaks down in December, 2021. Here we are 16 months later. How, how did this come together? Talk about kind of the process, getting back to the table, starting negotiations and discussions again, all culminating in Tuesday's announcement. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It has been a while already. Uh, how does it all come back together? The city of Calgary, uh, Pat, as you, everyone, most people are aware, they, they struck a, an event center committee and said, hey, we're going to give this another try. And Sonia Sharp uh, was the chair of that committee, and she had some colleagues uh, on council with her and then had Deborah Yeldon and uh, Brad Perry, uh, both from the chamber and from the Calgary Tourism, uh, on the committee. And that was, that was really a, a, the, the uh, first step. And then, and then they actually tapped uh, three three gentlemen who d- didn't get a lot of love yesterday, but did uh, back in October. Guy Huntingford, John Fisher, and Phil Swift actually were the first sort of civic ambassadors that reached out to CSEC and said, "Hey, can we at least have a chat?" And uh, and and so we said, "Sure, we can always have a chat." I, mean, I think we all, at the end of the day. Uh, the the the, the uh, event center committee, you know, the, and and all of council is unanimous on. Boy, we really do need an event center. Um, CSEC, I think, has believed that we need a new event center, and so so the three gentlemen reached out. We had conversations for a while, Pat, and tried to you know get through some of the history, but then really get your eyes forward on the horizon. Well, what would it look like? What would it take? Uh, what would be the environment that might allow us to get back to the table? And uh, and so those were good conversations, and we uh, cleared the air on some stuff, set some criteria for what it might look like to get back to the table, and then in October uh, got back to the table. And so that was an important first step. And then and then I think uh, the city hiring CAA Icon, who um, you know they're they're a very experienced firm. They've uh, they managed the building actually up in Edmonton, the construction project for it. Um, but they also have been involved in trying to put deals together both for the uh, municipality side and the team side. So a really important step uh, for the city to take because they could really speak the language that everyone could understand, and they're very experienced at it. So uh, that that happened in October, and, and it took a while, and a lot of back and forth and back and forth, and a lot of good frank conversations, some full disclosure of information and ideas, and uh, sort of led us to to to, uh, to yesterday. So, John, and and you, you talk about going from October to to April. That's a that's a, a a real nice set of discussions to go from October sitting down and then hammering out a deal six months later, and and here we are now today. And I know a lot of the one of the one of the questions that I've seen asked a lot is, and and I believe you addressed this, and I would I would um, direct people if they haven't seen it to head over to CalgaryFlames.com as as you put out a Q and A on all of this yesterday. Um, but how how is this deal different than the deal that broke down in December 2021? What are the differences, and what makes this one better, or or has a better chance of of getting signed, sealed, and delivered here? Yeah, uh, good question, uh, Pat. Uh, I think I think a couple things actually. One, so so the scope of this project is quite a bit different than what we were trying to get done back in 19 to 21. And so while we still have the concept of an event center, we were trying to build an event center on seven acres of land. And because there was only seven acres of land, um, we had to make some decisions as to what would work and what wouldn't work. So we quickly ended up dispensing with the community rink idea, even though everyone thought that the community rink idea would be a great idea. But when you're only on seven acres of land, it's actually impossible to do uh, an event center properly and a community rink. So the community arena was a good example of something that fell off the wayside. So one of the big differences is that we've got 10 acres instead of seven. 
uh, and that was through the help of the, of the Calgary Stampede to be able to help find a little bit more land. And so with 10 acres, you can do a proper design event center. You can do a community rink, which is going to be awesome, 1,000 seats. But you can also then have an indoor gathering place, as in loading your building. As many of our fans know, you come in the middle of January and it's minus 25, and the last thing you want to do is queue outside. And so this is going to allow us to actually load the building and get people out of the elements. And then there's also going to be an outdoor gathering place. And you, and, you, and you see it now, whether it's NHL or NBA or whatever it is, right? And we, had, we had a lot of fun last year with the red lot. Yeah. Um, and, and so the equivalent sort of area that we can do a red lot on the property. And so those are the, those are the biggest uh, deltas between the two. Um, but they're, they're, they're very significant, and they allow for a real uh, community focus uh, and, and a great, and great opportunity for people to come down and, and take it in a number, number of different ways. We're chatting with CSEC, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation President and CEO, John Bean. We're talking about the brand new event center announcement and agreement that we found out about on Tuesday. Um, a, a, a few questions, um, I guess, and, and there's been, I think, some confusion on this, and, and there's been some different numbers thrown around. I'm, I'm curious, from your perspective, John, how do you see CSEC's financial contri- uh, contribution to this event center project? What are the, what are the numbers that, that your group has projected? Yeah, uh, and, and it's a good question, Pat, and there's a lot of numbers spinning out there. Um, the total project that, that they've announced, right, that we all announced yesterday was $1.2 billion dollars. Um, but people need to, uh, I, I would think like, I would like them to think that you could break this into a couple different buckets and 300 million of it is infrastructure. And I'm going to call that city building costs that you're going to incur, uh, to help facilitate this district that they've got going. They've got a convention center going, they've got stampede grounds here. They want to have an event center remain here. There's one here already, by the way, everyone, and we're just going to replace it. Uh, and then you've got Studio Bell under the tracks, and you've got the library. You've got this whole district going. So, so of the 1.2, 300 million is really infrastructure, uh, which the province, uh, quite frankly, stepped up and said, "Hey, we can help you with that." And and the big one is going to be the six street underpass, but it's also going to include connectivity here. I mean, how many of our fans have come to games, pat or concerts? And it's a little challenging, if we could be polite, about getting in and out. And uh, this 300 is going to do a lot to help uh, create more ways to get in and out of the, the neighborhood, whether it's a 6th Street underpass, the connectivity of 17th Avenue, um, the secret road down the southeast side of the Stampede Lands by yes. the barns. They're actually going to build a real road there with real lights and real signage because that's a great way to get out now. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. And then, and then we're going to do this really cool high-tech stuff called lane reversal systems. <laughs> And, and allow, allow us to use multiple lanes either on access or egress at the right times. And so, so call that $300 million of infrastructure really good for the district. Uh, the convention center is doubling in size. If that thing's going to be used properly, we're going to have more traffic, not, not, not less in here. Right. So it's really important that we create a really good experience. You know, the last thing we want is someone coming to their first big convention and going, yeah, that is an amazing building, but it took me an hour and a half to get out because that's not going to go well. So I think there's a really, there's a great opportunity to make sure we've got the right infrastructure in the area. And they've done that. So of the 1.2, 300 is infrastructure. And then 900 is what we're going to call event center, uh, which is your traditional event center. That's at 800 million. And then, and then the community rink, you add that on for 50 and then you've got a parkade and then an indoor and outdoor plaza. So kind of look at those buckets as 900 and 300 is 1.2. Is, is a good way that we look at it. And then so we're, we are uh, fortunate to be partnering, you know, primarily with the city on, on funding the event center and the community rink. And so our, our, they, they use this net present value calculation, which is, you know, a, a really correct way to look at things from a financial point of view. So we're, we're contributing somewhere around $350 million bucks towards the event center. Uh, another way to look at it is uh, it's a rent of $17 million a year. Uh, that increases at 1% a year over 35 years. And uh, that plus $40 million up front, that's over $750 million, Pat, over the life of the 35-year uh, term. 
that uh, CSEC will be contributing towards the uh, the event center. Okay. And another big question that has been out there is about cost overruns. And, and that was a big question when things broke down 16 months ago as well. How... How are potential cost overruns going to be handled if they do end up being a part of this conversation? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and another great question. And one of the other uh, reasons I have some optimism about this time versus last time, I think we're starting with a more realistic number now because uh, we're starting okay. with 800 for the event center and 50 for the community rink. But in the event, the event center or costs go over or the community rink costs go over, um, a couple things. One is, so the province stepped up and said they put $30 million towards the community rink, so we'll tick that box, and, and uh, that's all they're in for, so they're not in for any more. And if the community rink uh, goes over 52.8, which is what we've carried, um, any cost in excess of that would be shared 50-50 by the city and CSEC. And similarly, on the event centre and the parkade and the plazas, if they go over their allotted costs, CSEC and the city are going to share 50-50 or more likely what's going to happen, Pat, is going to go back and look at the design and find opportunities to maybe uh, save some nickels and make sure we don't blast over it. But in the event, we make some informed decisions and for whatever reason, we've, we've got more inflation ahead of us in the next three years than we think is there. Um, there's a sharing between the city and CSEC. Okay. And I, wa- and I want to throw one other thing out there that I sort of forgot to touch on, if you yeah. don't mind. Yeah, yeah. When we think, when we think, because I'm seeing a lot of this in the news about, you know, the the 650, let's call it, for the old deal. Uh, how did 650 become 1.2? That seems crazy. It's a double, and and part of the problem is it's the buckets we talk about. So the 650 last time, that was the event center. That wasn't the infrastructure number. The infrastructure number was always there, and so if you wanted to do apples to apples comparison, it should have been 650 plus 300 is 950. How did 950 become 1.2? 950 becomes 1.2 because you add in a $50 million community rink and you add in the passage of time and it's called inflation. And you add in a few other design elements called an indoor and outdoor gathering place. So this isn't really a double. It's not, oh my gosh, the sky's falling to double. Have costs gone up? You bet. Uh, if we delay and keep delaying, they're just going to keep going up. Um, but but this isn't the double, and people need to remember and put back on the table that back when we did the old deal, there was still 300 to spend on infrastructure. It just wasn't presented in the same way. Right. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, and and yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, that that's uh, that's some good clarification as well when it comes to the numbers that are being tossed around. So I guess the the last question I have for you, John, is is about next steps. And I know we don't have timelines right now, but so what are the next steps? What comes next? So we have Tuesday's agreement. What are kind of some of the next signposts here to getting shovels in the ground? Yeah, so here are the next steps. Uh, we have to get formal definitive agreements in place, and I can share with you that we're meeting Friday. Okay. We're get everyone in a room, and we're going to grind through that, Pat, and we're going to do it as fast as we possibly can. And then what we need to do is between the city and CSEC, we need to identify a, call it a development manager, uh, and that would be someone that oversees the entire uh, uh, construction of the event center, the community rink, the parkades, the plazas. That would be the next step to hire, and then they will quickly go out and need to do uh, hiring of a design team and a construction management team. And uh, let's get a building designed. Let's get the team in place, get a building designed and break ground, uh, in a rational but as fast a, a, a timeline as possible. And you're looking at 30 to 32, 34 months from break ground to open. Okay. And so the reason people weren't, you know, no one was being coy yesterday. We just, there's a lot to happen yet, so you don't know what it is. But if you do the math, you've got 32 to 34 months of construction, and then you've got some time in between that and now to hire someone get a building designed and get it going. So everyone can do the math and figure out that it's, you know, it's going to be 36 to 40 months plus or minus. And we'll see how we do. There was a lot of great work done uh, already. Uh, and some of that should be able to transfer over into the, uh, this new project, but because you're going from seven to 10 acres, you don't just, you just can't uh, sort of go copy and paste. Right. There's more work than that required. 
that uh, that is also that's that's also really helpful. So it gives you a little bit of a better idea uh, as to what the timelines are going to be and and what we're looking at ballpark for when we might be sitting in this brand new event center. John, really appreciate the time. Really appreciate you uh, giving us some clarity from CSEC's perspective on this. And and hey, I uh, it's going to be a fun next little while. We're all. Uh, we're all really excited about it, and uh, Tuesday was an exciting day for the city, in, in my opinion. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to see what comes next here. Thanks so much for doing this today. Hey, Pat, thanks for having me on, and thanks as always. You are a quality human being, and we love your support. Really appreciate it. Thank you, John. I appreciate that as well. You be well, hey, and uh, enjoy the Wranglers. Awesome. Yeah, go Wranglers, go. Thanks, John. Thanks. Bye now. That is John Bean. He is the president and CEO of Calgary Sports and Entertainment. Uh, CSEC's perspective on a brand new event center and an event center agreement that was announced on Tuesday. He joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take out or delivery at 403-248-3344. It's Steinberg and Aaron Vickers along with you this hour on flames talk so i uh, just heard from john bean there and a, a few things that i think are are important there um the cost overruns i think was one of the bigger questions that came out of tuesday's announcement and that was a big reason why things went off the rails 16 months ago in december 2021 i was sitting right here in this chair with Light, it was not light out, um, but I remember the moment I saw that tweet from Mayor Gondek come across that all of a sudden this thing is no longer going forward. And I uh, muttered under my breath something vile because it's like we've been waiting for this thing and, and hoping for this thing for so long. But then when it went off the rails, it, it was it was disappointing. And a big thing that we found out about was cost overruns was a part of that. And so now there's a little bit more information on how cost overruns would be handled uh, on both the community arena and the event center would be split by the city and CSEC. And on top of that, they would start to maybe try and trim here and there and make some minor modifications to the design. Yeah, that's one thing that was certainly of note in that conversation you had with uh, John Bean. The one that grabbed me was the seven acres to 10 acres. So now we're talking about from a footprint perspective, a 30% larger footprint, which will allow for public use space, which will allow for a community arena slash practice facility uh, for the CSEC teams. I'm curious to see what it looks like now. Now I'm now I'm the impatient child going, <laughs> show me some designs, show me how what it's going to look like versus what the old one was going to look like. And then just as a little bit of a, a sub footnote there, the 32 to 34 month uh, delivery, if you will, from breaking ground to opening up. We're basically talking the equivalent of three seasons once development starts. So the impatient child in me wants to see what it looks like and wants to see it done. But you got to wait. So 32 to 34 months from shovels in the ground to us getting our butts in those seats or press box, um, broadcast booth, wow. whatever the case may be, new hot stove, new Doug Lacey's basement systems, hot stove lounge. With windows? I have no idea. Okay. I have a feeling. That Do you get a lot of input in that? It's funny when they were doing the, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but. Um, but you will anyway. Well, I'm going to anyway. I'm already down that road. When, when they were doing the last the last design and, and before it broke down in December, 2021, um, just a very, very exploratory, like, so what would you want to see for radio? And I got asked that and I was like, this is pretty neat. Uh, and, and it was like very, very off the cuff and it was, it wasn't nothing at the official level. Um, but it was just kind of like, Hey, what would you like to see? And my guess would be there, there probably wouldn't be the same type of, Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge as there is, a la, I don't think it's going to be connected to the visitor's dressing room <laughs> where we can hear swearing and music and screaming and stick slamming. Do you have or, a 32-team, or I guess it'd be a 31-team ranking on who brings it the best in terms of pregame music? Uh, I can tell you the Oilers are the by 
far worst. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's always just like, what are we listening to? How is this pumping anybody up? Vegas was pretty good. Buffalo was pretty good. I remember the Sabres were pounding good tunes when they were here. Um, so I don't think that it will be quite the same. But yeah, I just, so 32 to 34 months, add in, yeah, eight months to get everything ready or whatever. If everything goes according to plan, they add a little bit on top. So say 40 to 42 months, some quick math, but that's a little bit less than four years from where we are right now as to when we might be able to see somebody cutting a ribbon. Is that right? Is that right? I mean, 42 months is less than four years because 36 months is three months. months. Three years, rather. I'm getting chirped on the text line about my acres math. So if you were looking at me across the table going, is my math correct? I'm a little shell-shocked right now. Look it. I am never too proud to do math on the air with a calculator. So 48 divided by 12 is indeed four. I remember my times table. Uh, so four years would be 48 months. Yes. So 42 divided by 12 would be about three, three and, and a half. Years. Three and a half, exactly. Boom, boom, boom. Look at us. Uh, Professor Steinberg and Vickers. Yeah. So three and a half years. So that would put us kind of in the ballpark. So a couple of... years away from Mackenzie Wieger's deal being expired. Because let's not forget, yes, it was 10 did. days ago, 12 days ago. Where he said the Calgary Flames need a new rink. Yes. And here we are today. So that would be so here we are in April. Three and a half years would put us April of twenty twenty six plus another six months would put us at like no October. It would put us right at October twenty twenty six. If we're going with forty two months as a as as kind of a ballpark, would put us October twenty twenty six as potentially when they could end up breaking ground on this thing. Now these things typically go long, and I added some months on some buffer, on it, some buffer. But sometimes the buffer gets extended. Like what we saw with UBS Arena in New York, they had to go on a 97 game road trip <laughs> to start a season before it could be ready. Um, I think Coachella Valley in the American League had a, a similar thing happen. Um, it would not be uh, Seattle had some delay to get their home opener because they had some things they had to finalize. So it would not be unprecedented at all if. The arena was slated for October 2026, but it's not actually ready until November 2026. But I think, at the very least, a reasonable timeline would be the 26-27 season for when this could be opened, and we'll see. I can't think of an example off the top of my head, so I'll put you on the spot and said, has there ever been a case where an arena opened mid-season, or have they all typically been timed to coincide with an October-November start of the season? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> Text line at 96960. Where's Please Pike? chime in. Where's Pike? Where's Kerr? Though they they would be the people with the. Can you uh, imagine doing like a twenty and a twenty one game split? So spend half the season in the saddle dome and then cross the street and do the ribbon and I don't away know. you go. I, I don't know. I don't know when that. I don't know when the dome comes down. I don't know. I don't know how all that works. Look again. You're not uh, yet. You'll no. get on it. It's still a lot to wrap around this small brain. Um, I wanted to say this, and lots of texts coming in. We'll get to the texts on this at 960-960. But I, I wanted to to kind of give my thoughts on it, and this is just me. Um, but I, I understand this is a contentious issue. I've seen the discourse on Twitter. I've seen the discourse on our, on our text line. Um, I know that this is a contentious issue because whenever there are – look, Pinder and I – got into this so much leading into the Olympics and whether or not they were going to come here leading into a potential new arena in this city. Pinder and I have gotten into this many times and, and he and I had had slightly different views on it and that's okay because I understand that this is not a universal view and I understand that there are some who believe, who believe that 1,000% there should be public money that goes to something like this. And there are some who believe that, no, this is, a, this is a billionaire owner and Murray Edwards and CSEC should be incurring all of this cost and there should be no provincial or city money going to this. And I understand the, 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 the different points of views. And I, I don't really think there are, I, I think that there is a, a wide spectrum of valid and, and really important views to take into consideration. Where I am on that spectrum is this. I'm happy that we're taking a step forward and I don't mind this deal. I, I like this deal. I like more than anything else. I like that there is a deal. That's number one. And, and my 
feeling all along has been just get a damn deal done because I want a world-class district and a world-class facility in the city that I'm born and raised in. I love my city. I don't have any intentions of ever leaving this city. And I'm very proud of Calgary, and I'm proud to be a Calgarian. And and so I want world-class things in my city, and I want to be talking about uh, a district like Nashville's or a district like what Edmonton's turning into. I give, I give Edmonton a ton of credit for what ice district has turned into over the, however many years Rogers place has been open. I don't know for sure, but they, I, I have been to downtown Edmonton many times over the last 20 years. And the first time I went to downtown Edmonton, I did not want to go back to downtown Edmonton. What they have done in that area with Rogers place, being the hub of ice district is damn impressive. There are skyscrapers that didn't exist before. There are condo buildings that didn't exist before where people by choice are living downtown Edmonton now. And this is not like a last resort place to live in an apartment. Now you've got people who are buying condos in downtown Edmonton because it's a district you want to be at. I want something like that in Calgary. So I'm happy that we have a deal and I'm happy that there's something in place. And I personally am fine with public money going to it. I think that there is a huge benefit to a city that no study or or hard money graphs and charts can tell me that there's not. Because I know there's plenty of things that suggest that, well, there's no real economic impact and there's no benefit economically to a city building a new rink. And and I I'm not saying those studies are wrong. I just look at it as more than just a plain dollars and cents, black and red type thing. I look at it as when you have a world-class district in your city, it makes more people want to come to your city. It makes more people want to stay in your city. And, and I think it just ups and increases and betters the reputation of your city because of it. And so while there may not be any immediate or, or any long-term charts and graphs that can tell me that, well, this has made the economic impact, it's the same way that you can't tell me that the NHL going to the Olympics is bad for the sport. Even though it doesn't make the NHL dollars and cents the way they want it in the immediacy on their next year or their five-year budget plan, it still grows the game and still makes the NHL bigger on the grand scale, even if it doesn't hit their budgets the way they want. I still think financially going to the Olympics makes the most sense for the NHL. That's kind of how I look at an arena district in this city. So, yeah. And, and and if that's not where you are, and if you are vehemently opposed to public money going to this, I understand. And while you and I may not be on the same page, I'm not just talking to you, Aaron. I'm talking to you listening live or listening on, on podcast. If you're not in the same or on the same page, or if you want less public money going to it, or no public money going to it, I get it. I understand. I'm fine with it. I'm happy to have any of my tax dollars or property tax dollars go to this because I want the damn thing in my city. But that doesn't mean that if you disagree that you're wrong or don't want good things for Calgary. I understand all the points of views in this one, and I understand why it's contentious. So... There's uh, there's me. That's where I stand on this thing. Um, and we'll get to the text in just a second. I understand the civic pride argument of it. I understand the fiscal responsibility side of it. I understand the contributing public funds to a private company angle of it. I will say this, and this isn't an actual apples to apples scenario, but when I was traveling with the team, Glendale was one of my favorite stops because they had the outdoor facility with numerous restaurants and it'd be 90 degrees Fahrenheit and across the street is an outlet mall and there's a cinema over here and there's this over there. In one day, you're able to literally go, and this is a broader approach, but you're able to catch an outdoor concert within three kilometers. You were able to catch grapefruit baseball within three kilometers. Um, That's after participating in morning skate as well as attending the game. So Anything that can bring large groups of Calgarians together, whether it's a hockey game, whether it's a concert, whether it's anything else, just touring the area. If this area is developed properly and as it should be to entice all Calgarians, not just sports fans or not just music fans, then I'm all for it. Um, read a few texts for you at 960-960. This reads, I'll I'll read just a a bunch of them. Um, 
This says people forget that we spent on a giant public library, too, which, again, I had no problem with us spending on a, on a public library. Hell, I love the giant blue ring, and I know people are oh, no. vehement about why. I love it. I think it's cool. I think it's neat. It's different, and people hate it. That's fine. I got no problem with some of my tax dollars, however the little I pay, not saying I don't pay my taxes, just saying I, I have no problem with Your books whatever. in order over there? They are. Um, I got no problem with it going to public art. And if I don't like the public art, it's still public art. Art's an interpreter. So I have no problem with that. I have no problem with my money going to a brand new public library because the thing looks awesome. And it is awesome. And it makes our city better. And it's helping revitalize a brand new district in our city in the East Village, which is awesome and has come a long way. So I have no problem with that. Um, this says, uh, this is an amazing deal for the city of Calgary. It'll bring so much to the city. I'll happily pay taxes into this. This says, I agree with you, Pat. Calgary needs this second oldest rink besides the garden. It's about time. And, and I mean, you put a billion dollars into the garden in 2013, like physically. Yes. It's the oldest, but it's structurally a, not so much. It's a brand new building. Yeah. Just with a different facade. Um, this says, I don't have any issue with public money being spent on an arena. I have concerns about the political strings attached with this, and I understand yep. that. Um, this, a lot of people texting in uh, about to the timelines. Um, and yes, the, the, there have been plenty of teams that have not started in a brand new building and have jumped in. Lots they did my them. homework for me. Exactly. Um, this says, the arguments about the city needing it, regardless of the existence of CSEC or an NHL team, are valid, in my opinion. I don't have a problem with the project itself at all, or even the overall cost. It's just that one party certainly giving an outsized benefit cost ratio compared to the others. There's a lot of socialization of costs for private benefit here. Um, this says, kudos to John Bean, giving props and credit to the city, Councillor Sharp and her committee. Uh, her committee. Um, this says, don't be patting yourself on the back yet as we haven't heard from the NDP. Uh, so there's just a little bit at 960, 960 on the text line. Uh, this from John and Airdrie, don't you live in Chestermere? No, I, I live, I live downtown Calgary, man. I live, uh, I, I live eight blocks from where I'm talking right now. Chestermere. How does that rumor even start? Derek lives in Cochrane. Maybe that's maybe. No, I live downtown Calgary. Uh, this says, forget it's a sports team for a second. It's a business that contributes to the local economy. We should be partnering with these types of organizations. It benefits everybody. Um, this from Coleman and Duchess. Of course, Patty loves art. He's been a marionette connoisseur for a while. Ooh, good, good poll. Well, good poll, good poll. Um, so there you go. Just a little bit on the text line at 960, 960. Lots of texts coming in. This says, don't you live in Airdrie? Nope, don't live in Airdrie. I live in downtown Calgary. Uh, although, yes, I think that text is coming into the person, uh, John and Airdrie, saying, don't you live in Airdrie? Yes, John clearly lives in Airdrie. Uh, by the way, Mayor Gondek was on the big show on Wednesday morning. That is part of the Hour 2 podcast of the big show, wherever you get your podcast as well. If you'd like to hear from Mayor Gondek, she was on the big show on Wednesday, and uh, I I believe she might be part of Flames Talk on Friday. Still working on that as well. It's Steinberg Vickers along with you as we continue along from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? They install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Flames Talk is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary. Time for today's Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. It's not too late. They've extended their 4% loyalty rates on all in-stock 2022 models. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary Airport. It's Steinberg, Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Gents, here we are. We've only got a few more of these left, so we're talking more big picture things here. But... As we look towards the Calgary Flames offseason and look towards who may or may not be back with the team, they currently have five 
pending NHL unrestricted free agents, guys who are regulars on the team this year. Uh, those five would be Milan Lucic, Nick Ritchie, and Trevor Lewis up front, and then Troy Stetcher and Michael Stone on the back. Of uh, of those five UFAs, who for you is the, the top candidate to be back for the coming season? Well, for me, it really depends largely on who the head coach is next season. But since we don't know the answer to that question right now, it's obviously going to be Daryl Sutter. Um, I'll just say what I would do. Uh, uh, at forward, I think you have a hard time going along with a guy like Trevor Lewis. Made, what, $800,000 this year. He's uh, a guy who's won a couple of Stanley Cups. He can center your fourth line. He can play all three forward positions if you need him to. Uh, he can help you out in the penalty kill. And you can move him up and down your lineup uh, a little bit if you need to. But for me, he's almost the perfect 12th or 13th forward. And uh, for the amount of money you were paying him, I thought you got great value out of Trevor Lewis last season. And the other forward that I think about, I know Nick Ritchie gets a bit of a bad rap for that uh, shootout attempt that uh, he was given an opportunity to take and didn't score on. Uh, If Daryl Sutter's back as the head coach, then – He's a guy who I think does have some untapped potential there, and I do wonder if Daryl could get uh, the most out of Nick. But for me, it it really comes down to what happens on defense. If I have to pick one player, it's probably between Troy Stetcher and Michael Stone, both right-shot defensemen, but very different uh, in the way they play the game. And uh, I actually thought that uh, bringing in Stetcher was uh, a really good add to the Flames, who didn't make any major moves at the NHL's trade deadline. But, you know, that was a minor one that I think worked out really well for both the player and for the team. And you compare him to Michael Stone's game, Stetcher pays with more pace. Stone maybe has a bit more upside with that the shot and what he can do offensively. Although Stetcher, after not scoring for 90 games, was able to score a few for the Flames down the stretch. But uh, what are they going to do with Oliver Shillington? Is he going to be back next season? If so, then he's uh, a guy who plays on the left side and, if you want to add a depth guy, uh, a six-seven guy on the right side, then it probably comes down to one of, probably not both of, Michael Stone and Troy Stetcher. And for a team that I don't think played with enough pace at times, the Stetcher's, uh, I think, a pretty good fit. He's uh, an undersized defenseman, but uh, does play with pace and, and I think is a guy who can be your number six or seven guy and, and you feel really good about that. So... Uh, I, I guess I didn't really pick one guy uh, amongst that group of players, but up front, uh, for me, Trevor Lewis would be a great guy to bring back. And on the back end, one of Michael Stone to Troy Stetcher. I guess I look at it from two ways. Who will be back or who do I think will be back? Because no, who would you? Who would I? Well, it says right there. Who is your top Are you reading off a script? You? I'm just uh, How dare you have the you. same piece of paper in front of you for you. Well, I was going to make top Well, I was actually just trying to transition into a lovely Michael Stone fifth straight one year contract signed <laughs> a month before training camp. But you went ahead and ruined it, Patrick. You ruined it. Death taxes Michael Stone contract right before the season starts. Right. But for me, Troy Stetcher would probably be the most likely alternative. I really like what he brought to the Calgary Flames after joining the club at the trade deadline along with Richie in exchange for Richie and Mackie. But to me, he makes it, he seems like the most logical candidate, depending on what you have coming back in the Oliver Shillington thing. As you mentioned, Wilsey is, is a little bit of a wrinkle as well. But just from a depth standpoint and looking and, and looking at the options the Calgary Flames have, and they've got some guys that have one year remaining. We talked a lot about Elias Lindholm and Michael Backlund in the past entering uh, eligibility to sign an extension. Well, you've got a couple defensemen that are able to do that as well. So pending their futures adding more depth to the blue line is probably an alternative you want to look at. So for me, just in terms of body of work, where I can identify some needs and just general fit, Troy Stetcher is probably going to be my answer. Yeah, I I, I would look, I guess if I were to rank them, Stetcher would be for sure my number one on that list. Not a lot of thinking about this, because at first I was like, well, what about Oliver Shillington? You know, like if, if yeah. Oliver's back, would you bring Troy back? But even if Oliver's back, and I, I do believe, I, I do believe things are trending in the right direction for Oliver to be oh, yep. with the team for next year and back in the NHL for next year. So um, let's just assume, for sake of this conversation, that Oliver is indeed back with the Flames. I think the, the the chances are better than not that, that is the case. So 
even if Oliver Shillington is back next year, A, hasn't played for an entire season, so don't know how that's going to affect his game. But B, I mean, I, I think even if you're talking about all the same guys back that started the year plus Shillington, so Uyghur and Anderson and Tanev and Hannafin and Zadorov. Zadorov, and now you add Shillington to that mix, so those six still being with the team, I still think there's a, a way that you can bring Troy Stetcher back. And and Troy was pretty clear at locker cleanout day that he would like to be back. He felt like he found his offensive game again. Obviously, he did. He didn't score goals at all until he got, got <laughs> to Calgary. Uh, and then he scored a few. Um, and, and look, I think Troy is very well slotted in being a, a third-pairing defenseman who plays... With some pace, as you talk about Wilsey, he plays with some bite for his size. He competes like nobody else, and I always give him credit for how hard he competes. He skates. He is confident in jumping up in the rush. I think he's well slotted at like 12 to 15 minutes a night on your third pairing. But, you know, he's got a right shot, and I think that that is something important in this conversation as well. So... I would even even if you slot him as the seven, and I don't think it's crazy to think that he would come back if if there was that type of potential role there. I'm not saying he 100 percent would, but I think if you can sign Stetcher to a one year deal and he's okay with signing a one year deal to maybe be in that five six seven rotation type thing, I would absolutely look at doing it. And then you know with the talk about. Does Noah Hannafin get traded, or does Chris Tanev get traded, or does Nikita Zadorov get traded with them on expiring deals? Having Stetcher in the fold would be really good as well. And if you're in the playoffs come the trade deadline, then obviously you're happy to have Stetcher. And if you're not in the playoffs come the trade deadline, then there's a nice trade chip that you can have. So Stetcher would absolutely be the top guy on my list, whether Oliver Shillington comes back or not. I would offer him a contract. I would offer him a one- or two-year deal and and see if, if staying in Calgary is uh, something that, that is uh, of super interest to him. It's hard to answer these big-picture, long-term questions. I know. Because there are so many unanswered questions right now. General manager, head coach, is the team going to be forced into retooling uh, based maybe on those two decisions? And also Oliver Shillington is is a little bit further down the list, but that, that's still an important player for the Flames. And you know, he was a top four guy for them last season. And I would assume that if he came back, he would uh, certainly be a top six, if not top four guy again. But if you're bringing your top five guys back from last season, so – Rasmus Anderson, Noah Hannafin, uh, Chris Tanev, Mackenzie Weger, and Nikita Zadorov. That's a really good start. And if you add Oliver Shillington to that group, now you've got a really good top six. And now if you're bringing in Troy Stetcher or Michael Stone, it's to be your seven. So if those top six guys are all going to be here next season, then maybe you lean Stone over Stetcher because you know that Stone loves it in Calgary, uh, loves the Flames organization, and as a guy, you can play once every three months and some way, somehow, get the best out of it. We, we don't know how Stetcher would respond to playing one out of every 25 games. Would he be good? Maybe he would be, but we know that Stone can be good in that situation. And then as far as the group of forwards is concerned, and uh, had a meeting with uh, some fellow Flames media members today, in uh, Wes Gilbertson, Eric Francis, and Brendan Parker. And, of course, we were talking Flames hockey. But, you know, Wes brought up a really interesting point when it comes to Trevor Lewis. So the Flames signed Kevin Rooney to a two-year deal last summer with the idea that he would be their fourth-line centerman. It didn't work out, but if some things were to change off the ice, you're already committed to him for over a million dollars next season. Would he get an opportunity to win that job at training camp and in the preseason? And if so, then maybe you don't have a need for a guy like Trevor Lewis. So, man, there are so many unanswered questions right now. These discussions are fun, but it feels like uh, it's hard to even give uh, an educated guess on what's going to happen without knowing some answers to some other questions, doesn't it? Well, and I just yeah, absolutely. I, I just I just wanted to address the the Michael Stone thing as well. And you know, I, I feel bad saying this because I I asked him on locker cleanout day point blank. Because he, even when he signed for this past season, I kind of asked him, did you have other 
options to sign because he was so, he had he really built his value again late last season and in the playoffs for what he was able to do. And so when he signed back with the Flames, I asked him, "Did you look elsewhere?" And he kind of said, "Nah, not really. We weren't really listening to other offers." So I asked him point blank on Locker Cleanout Day, "Would you go elsewhere? You can still play in this league." I bet you you'd get other offers if you were an unrestricted free agent. He basically said, no, where life is right now, I, I'm here or I'm nowhere uh, in the NHL. Not helping his agent at all, is he? No, no. If you're his agent, you're like, Michael, stop it. I said that to him after the press conference ended. You're losing all your leverage here, bud. But he, he, yeah. he straight up said, with where I am with my kids and my wife and my family and, and where I am in life, I still want to play in the NHL. I still believe I can play in the NHL. I really do respect the hell out of this from the guy yeah. for A, being that honest, for B, priority. Like, just I respect it beyond belief. But he said, no, I want to play in Calgary. This is where my life is. And if I can play in Calgary, that's awesome. I'll keep playing in the NHL. If not, well, then I won't be playing in the NHL. And, and so I hate saying this, but if you're the Flames, you've got that. You know that. You, you've got it in your back pocket. So there's yeah. no rush in signing them. It's like... See what happens. And if you need to sign him to be an eight where he splits time in the American League or, or the NHL or he sits a lot or whatever, you've got that ability to do so. So I don't I don't think there's any problem bringing Stoner back because you know the situation. And so I don't I, I think it's yeah. a valid conversation to have, but it's not really a priority and it sucks to say, but it, it doesn't really feel like it's a high priority because of where Michael is in his life. So just from a business standpoint, you probably do go about it that way, if that makes any sense. No, it makes complete sense, Pat. And I'm not sure Michael did himself any favors saying that, but you know, on the flip side, the Flames probably already know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah they know. Yeah, that, that's not a loosely, or right. that is a loosely guarded and, secret. And if he is back, and I love the guy, and I think uh, in the role of a six-seven defenseman, he's been really good for the Flames. But if he is back, it feels like it's going to be potentially on a PTO for training camp in the preseason and then a contract either in late September or early October, because that's been his modus operandi and the Flames know that they can wait until the last second to sign him. And you know, if there's an injury, then maybe that changes the situation as well. But I guess the other question would be, what would Troy Stetcher want? Does he want to come back to Calgary? Yeah. And if so, would he be willing to sign a Michael Stone type of deal with the Flames for the same amount of money? Because this is a team that's going to be up against it as far as the salary cap is concerned. I really like the Walker Dewar contract as far as the AAV that they're going to be giving him for the next couple of years. What isn't ideal about that deal is the fact that he's UFA at the end of his two-year deal. But, you know, for the next two years, it's a really good uh, AAV for a Flames team that doesn't have a lot of money to work with. So uh, would Stetcher take the same amount of money in term as Stone? Would he be willing to wait until – uh, the last second, so to speak, uh, until the late stages of the offseason to potentially sign a deal, or is he more anxious to get something done? Because unlike Stone, he's willing to play in, in 31 or at least in other NHL markets. So a lot of unanswered questions, but uh, should make for a, a fun offseason for us, for sure. Yeah, that's the one thing we talk about Michael Stone and not necessarily having much leverage against the Calgary Flames. Well, Troy Stetcher has in theory anyway, 31 other teams that I'm sure he's yeah. willing to go play for. So a bit of a different scenario, a little apples to oranges, but I would understand the Calgary Flames at least broaching the subject of, hey, there's an opportunity here in the 6-7 spot, depending how things slide out. Is that something that you'd be interested in? And something that probably happens after free agency opens as opposed to you know, sorting things out before him because I, from Troy Stetcher's perspective, if you're putting me in his skates... I'm going to want to see what's out there For sure. generally before, whereas Michael Stone is committed to being a member of the Calgary Flames. And he even said, uh, just to piggyback on Steinberg's question with him, he can't imagine his family being one place and him being somewhere else. So it's not even just a matter of relocating his family. He's not willing to relocate himself and be away from his wife and kids, yeah. which, I mean, you got to tip your hat to the guy, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Well, the one guy we haven't talked about in this conversation is Milan Lucic. Uh, kind of the elephant in the room, right? Would you guys bring him back for a way lower cap hit, like a million dollars or less, or is that off the table for you? I would not. I really think it's important that the Flames have options available, whether it's Daryl Sutter or another coach. I think that you need options available without roadblocks to have a younger forward group next year. And so depending on the way things go, 
I, I, as of right now, I'm not re-signing Trevor Lewis, despite how much I appreciated what he did. I would still like to see that go to somebody a little bit younger, and the same is true with Milan Lucic. I just, I, I, I don't, I don't want to have that roadblock potentially in place where you could have somebody else step in and have a younger looking number four line to me that's really important for next year yeah i'm of the same sort of opinion and in just thinking about the subject and and tossing around some and ideas. just quickly that's no disrespect to either guy no. and what they did it just is it's just where things are with this organization for me i think that if you can roll out a, a much younger fourth line and i remember joking about the fifth line at times down the stretch where you had pelchier scratch you had rizichka scratch you had doer scratch well, that's three players that I would be curious to see form a, a quasi-fourth line that has some speed, some tenacity, um, some offensive punch, and some youthful energy, I guess, if you will. So for me, not bringing back Milan Lucic doesn't have as much to do with Milan Lucic, and even extending it to Trevor Lewis, exactly. who I, I was a big... I was in Trevor Lewis's corner all me season, too. and so that's why his name didn't come up in the question for me. Now, if he wants to be a 13, I could see that scenario, but for me... Um, the fourth line needs to be remodeled into a more youthful approach for my liking. Yeah, and I do think the team needs to play with some more pace. And maybe if the Flames weren't in a position where they had some NHL-ready prospects or potentially NHL-ready prospects, obviously we saw Walker Dewar and Jacob Pelche down the stretch, but what about Connor Zary? Because of the three guys uh, in question here, he was probably the best guy during training during camp, camp in the preseason. Yeah. So... If you didn't have guys who are potentially ready to take that next step and go from the AHL to the NHL, then maybe you take a longer look at bringing some of the veteran guys back to make sure that you filled all those holes in your roster. But you know, the Calgary Anglers are a really good team, and I think ready to graduate some more guys. And I think Walker Dewar and Jacob Pelche should both be full-time NHLers next season, and maybe some other guys join that conversation with a strong off-season training camp and preseason. Yep. Good stuff, Willsey. We'll do it again on Thursday. Okay, guys, have a good night. That's Derek Wells. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. There's your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Enjoy the Race into Spring Detail Package offer for only $299. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary Airport. How about that, uh, John Bean, CEO, CSEC CEO, joined us uh, very recently. Premier Daniel, Daniel Smith joined us, and then the Daily Flames Roundtable talking UFAs. We're going everywhere on Flames Talk. This is the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a keyed-alike system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.